This is one of the most powerful podcasts that I've recorded this year. It's with Vilana Marcus, my lovely wife, and Caitlin Howe, who I was engaged to, and now is my best friend and going to be the best man-woman at the upcoming proper wedding ceremony that I'm having with Vilana. And we go deep into our shadows, our vulnerabilities. We pass around a bottle of wine and a bottle of whiskey, and like best friends do and the closest people on the planet Earth, We just talk through everything that's going on in our life, the challenges that we face, what we're feeling, and it's really a beautiful conversation that is exceedingly vulnerable and gives a real keen insight into the universal struggles that we all have as played out specifically in three different individuals. I can't wait to share this show with you, Vailana Marcus and Caitlin Howe. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Worldview. Worldview, you might have heard me talk about it. It's a stratospheric helium balloon that's going to allow you to rise up to the stratosphere, take telescopes like your own personal Hubble observatory, and look at the heavens, look at the stars, gaze at the borderline where the curvature of the earth meets the blackness of space, and then back down towards this beautiful blue gem of a planet and some of the seven sacred sites around the world like the great barrier reef great wall of china the grand canyon the aurora borealis the pyramids of egypt and see the earth in a new way while at the same time exploring the stars and the heavens like no civilian gets access to because of course you can take these rockets it's 12 minutes up and down it's a blast and you get to space for a hot second but how much can you really see in the couple minutes you're up there before you deploy down in these capsules you're going to get hours upon hours of time to both look up and look down and look within and see how this experience transforms you as an individual i can't wait to have this experience myself so for any of you who are interested in exploring it or if you're ready to put down your deposit and secure one of the capsules there's been over 100 test flights it's totally safe if you want to hear from the chief exploration officer to hear about all the safety check out my podcast with alan stern but it's absolutely triple redundantly safe so if you're interested in learning more or putting down a deposit go to thewholeworldview.com. Once again, thewholeworldview.com. Next up, we have Eight Sleep. Now, I've had the privilege of getting a lot of different mattresses. And the advantage of that is I get to try out a lot of different mattresses. And the latest one that I'm gonna talk to you guys about is Eight Sleep. Because not only is Eight Sleep a dope mattress, like some of the other mattresses that I've talked about, but Eight Sleep also weaves in temperature regulation. And this is something that is incredibly valuable because when we sleep, we oftentimes will get hot. And as we get hot, that will often pull us out of our sleep rhythm, our natural sleep rhythm. I mean, normally we were sleeping on the ground and the ground would get cooler as night fell. And as the ground got cooler, we would fall deeper and deeper into sleep. And then as the earth started to warm, we would warm back up. So you can go down to as cool as 55 degrees or look if you really want to warm up your mattress because you're in a cold place it can get as hot as 110 degrees so the temperature regulation in 
the eight sleep pod pro is really awesome and it's been cool to check that out so if that sounds like something interesting to you i mean there's some great research eight sleep users falling asleep up to 32 percent faster reducing sleep interruptions by 40 percent getting more overall restful sleep i encourage you guys to check it out go to eightsleepcom slash amp that's e-i-g-h-t sleep.com slash amp check out the pod pro and you'll save 150 dollars at checkout using the promo code AMP. Once again, 8sleep.com slash AMP to save $150 at checkout with the promo code AMP. And lastly, we have Onnit. And what I want to tell you about Onnit is if you're listening to this podcast at the time of release, don't buy anything from Onnit right now. We're about to have our Black Friday sale. It's going to be bananas. It always is our biggest sale of the year. It's a great opportunity to try out all kinds of new and interesting products that you might not have seen in the Onnit catalog. There's so many things that you're going to love if you give it a go. The funny thing is, is that even Vailana, who's on this podcast right now, she'll try something that Onnit has created and be like, wow, it really works. And I'm like, yeah, babe, I, I know. <laughs> like, like what, what do you mean it really works? Of course it really works. Her favorite is the Alpha Brain Black right now, not only for its cognitive benefit, but also for the mood. You know, when she's found herself in a funky mood, she takes a couple Alpha Brain Black and it just, it's a full 180 on her experience. And it's been really cool to see her latch onto that product and really enjoy it. I also have some funny Onnit commercials coming out for Black Friday. So definitely peep what they have going on. If you're interested in advance, go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You can always check it out and get 10% off. But as I said, please wait for the Black Friday sale which should start somewhere around Thanksgiving. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Vailana Marcus and Caitlin Howe. Here we are with two of my favorite humans on the planet Earth, two humans who have loved me so much over their lifetimes, and I have loved them so much over their lifetimes. Caitlin Howe. Hello. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> she's currently my best friend, my coach at Fit for Service, also the best man person woman person my best man <laughs> i don't know right. i don't know how else it. you say it, how you say it i'm your but, best man best man woman. yeah i'm i'm cool with taking on the title of best man i don't think i'll get many opportunities in my life to step in to those shoes you're I'm, gonna look I'm fly it. as hell in a you tuxedo. are i am and but I, it, I can't wait but what's really powerful about that is that we were going to get married at some point. Yeah. I proposed to you and we were looking at wedding venues in Ireland and Scotland and flying owls and thinking about having Sonny, our boy Skrillex, come out and rock the house at a castle in Scotland. It would have been dope. But the world and our life has steered us to be just the greatest soul allies from now until forever. That's right. Yeah, the universe had different plans for our our chart. And I'm so thankful that it did because we have just expanded into touching more lives and having more love and knowing each other in a new way um, yeah. that serves the world, I think, perfectly. And it's been an epic, epic ride. <laughs> epic fucking ride. <laughs> wow. and, and of course, I'm here with my goddess, my wife, my queen, <laughs> Vailana. Hello. <laughs> Everything gets musical when you say Vailana. It's like the different synths come in and it's like, Vailana. 
And um, as you might see, if you're watching this, and if you're not watching this, we got a little Oban 14, which is my favorite scotch on the table. We got a little Camus, which is Vailana's current favorite wine on the table. And it's a Wednesday night, and we're going to have a few drinks, and we're going to talk about some matters that are close to the heart. Yeah. Some things that we've all dealt with, some things that we're currently dealing with. And one of the things that's come up is we recently watched a screening of my new documentary, Awake in the Darkness. And in that documentary, we talk about reclaiming, well, I talk about, it's just me in the darkness, but I talk about reclaiming Chris Marcus. And that was a theme and a thread that wove through the darkness was that there was some part of my former self that was exiled. And of all the people in my life, you know Chris Marcus the best. I mean, you were engaged to Chris Marcus. Like you and Chris Marcus, I mean, we were fucking we killing burned it. We, down. Burned it, we burned it. <laughs> we burned it down. But then, you know, Chris Marcus became Aubrey Marcus, and there was a line of demarcation. And of course, I was the same person, but I almost had this burn the boats moment where I pushed all of that aside. And in the darkness, there was a way in which I really desperately needed to bring that element of myself back. So I wanted to, you know, this was the impetus for this to allow, you know, that story to be told. And then also for all of us to tell the stories of parts of ourselves that we might have left behind. Mm -hmm. And because we're not really the full entirety of our being if we've exiled any aspect of our prior, our prior self, any aspect of who we once were, if we hold any aspect in judgment, mm. you know, like the, the ceiling on our love and fullness of ourself is that which we hold as the least of ourself or that which we cast out. Like we will never rise above that until we can reach the fullness of who we have been and who we are even if we have changed and even if we want to evolve it's important to bring that back home so i thought we would all just do this together and talk about anything that's holding us back from being the fullest expression of of who we are mm. yeah i think that there's um it's also it's a big delusion that we hold that we can actually exile part of ourselves. it doesn't really go away you yeah, know that's right. it's um it's a nice comforting thought that we can just cut that out because it doesn't feel like it fits I'm Aubrey now. Chris Marcus is gone. Yeah, where'd he go, bitch? <laughs> He's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just totally. down there in the basement like, <laughs> yeah. yo man. Hi, hey, here <laughs> I am. Love me too. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think, you know, for my journey, it's been a lot, you know, for anyone who does follow me, um I share pretty openly about my shadow experiences and it has been a journey of recognizing all of all of the parts of myself that I have cast out at some point because I felt like they couldn't be loved or I just didn't I didn't love them. I I really had this, um, you know, I think a lot of us have this, but this this outsourced desire to be accepted and be validated in love through what people, you know, dictate or insinuate is acceptable and appropriate. And um, there's a lot of depth to me and a lot of fire and a lot of passion and a lot of humanness. And, you know, I think realizing that all of those parts of me that I was trying not to be 
some of them are very powerful actually and some of them have big gifts to share with the world too and i've i've been noticing on my journey that they don't go away they create a sense of fracturing in yourself that you can't quite pinpoint because you think you've overcome them and the reclamation process is really excruciating sometimes but very mm. very um it's it helps you be all that you are and it's really healthy and necessary and you can't escape it you will have something that haunts you it's somewhere in the pit of your stomach in the pit of your soul that's like there's something here that you refuse to look at and it will be seen and heard in some form yeah. <laughs> when we did a boga there was a part of your shadow expression this mm. hungry party ghost yeah. version of yourself that you in the aboga journey tried to bury and kill and did your best to do so but it was like a zombie oh yeah and it was like a zombie it wasn't gonna die so Aubrey and i did <laughs> aboga in 2012 at the beginning of the year and this was right after your name change and i actually remember sitting in aboga and actually working in myself because i had been dating you for so long as chris I had a moment of recognizing, oh, I need to accept Aubrey because there was still a piece of me that was like unfamiliar with why does this, why does he need to change? I love him as he is. Mm. I see him Well, perfectly. that made one of us, <laughs> yeah. so that's good. But I was resistant to it because I was attached to Chris. I was attached to the familiar life that I knew. And my attachments to my familiar life and the way that I want to see myself and you know feel comfortable in the world have been a real stronghold in in me being able to transcend and um, embody more of myself over the years. But I have, you know, historically, um, particularly at that time, I never call her a demon now. But we had a joke that it was the demon because I have, um, you know, I operate in extremes and I had a mode that was just like, we called it the black eyes. But I would, <laughs> I would get into, there's a, almost like this, um, Dionysian hunger that's just like more, more, more. And um, and that was so... It's pretty much the season <laughs> of True Blood where our boy Makad was in there yeah. as the character Eggs. And there was the, I don't know what her goddess name was. It was, was Marianne. Uh, yeah, yeah. The main ad or the whatever. The main ad. Yeah, and she would turn every, give them all the black eyes. Yeah, and, and they'd all be humping and drinking. And, Ooh, and that was violent. literally Caitlin, Caitlin. Caitlin could create that. I was an but orchestrator. Sometimes she would she would be sipping her own brew. Often, <laughs> not just, I was just not the, just curating. The, I was the just main the best at still holding the space. <laughs> My medicine woman powers have shifted since then, but yeah, I was holding space for um, you know for debauchery, and I was doing you it. Did it fucking it's, so good. And I didn't I didn't see that level of you, but your ability to hold space for people's total freedom. Mm. Mm -hmm. and chaos and whatever kind of expression that they feel like you know like tight or contained like you bring like you 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 bring them out of it yeah and i think so this is where this integration and reclaiming is so important because that is a superpower of mine it is but it's like how are you using it and what why are you using it and what is it preventing you from doing in the ways that you're using it how can you alchemize that into something that is actually utilizing your superpower and helping the world but isn't causing 
damage to yourself. So my modalities at that time were, you know, get myself to a point of such uninhibitedness that I was sacrificing my own well-being to have the experience of orchestrating everyone else's ecstasy and joy and liberation. And I knew that there was magic and medicine in that for the people that I was cheering on. And there was like, I saw no so doubt. many people just break through their shell and they, they, and they appreciated me offering that invitation to them. So there was this exchange that felt really good for me. And, um, but the, the guilt and the shame that came on the other end of knowing that I was harming myself at certain points and getting in my own way of really actualizing things that were deeply important to me or even being on purpose on a soul level at all, because this was, you know, over 10 years ago. So I wasn't really, I didn't have the same framework that I do now. Um, but it was, it was, it would seesaw back and forth between like, this feels like me and then like, this can't be me because it's destructive and it hurts me and it gets in my way. So my my mission with Iboga was, it's such a deep medicine was to slay the demon. Do you think that <laughs> there's something erotic about harming yourself? Mm. It, this is something that's like, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, but there seems to be an eroticism about the desecration of self. Mm. Like, like as the divine ones, there's this erotic energy about destroying the flower of our consciousness, of ourself. And I think, well, all of us have tapped into that, yeah. have tapped into that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely, I don't, I don't wanna. No, go, yeah, um, please. That's something that, you know, has come up in the, in the deeper work that, I've done, you know, with with you and with you and um this last year and Aya is actually tuning into that sh very strange erotic kink that I've experienced in myself through the desecration of myself. Like if if this man is has the most betrayal, lies the most, is manipulative, and then mm. somehow it makes its way to make up sex. It's like unreal. And I had a relationship that was on and off for five or six years that was so entirely driven by sex and that like that super erotic, like almost, it's hard to, de it's difficult to even explain. It's like, it's exciting for some reason to go from a place of just feeling almost like a hatred towards somebody like you're it's disgusting that I'm dancing in this realm with you but if we can connect in that way like I feel this this very um erotic expression in myself that turned into a lot of shame and closing off my yoni and and all of that but I've definitely expressed that well and there's I'm, there's two forces that I think would be good to separate mm -hmm. that, that I can see one force is the is the polarity the reclamation of the one who has rejected you betrayed you reclaiming mm. them mm -hmm. in and yeah. out redemption. of that's them a, that's it's a, a redemption yeah that's an important distinction so it's like the desire for redemption does create a massive surge of energy 
Yeah. And I think we've all felt that, you know, we've all felt that at certain times. Like, my life. Yeah. I mean, and even in polyamory, they call it reclamation sex, right? Mm -hmm. But there's reclamation sex that can happen when there's separation in a relationship and then reclamation in union, Mm -hmm. which is sex, union comes and there's the energy of that. But what we're talking, which is an important topic, and I don't mean to brush over that because we could spend a while exploring that that's another rabbit hole but the interesting part (laughs) is the eroticism of choosing people that would defile and desecrate you because their their energy was so toxic and destructive that and even though you wouldn't be consciously choosing it yeah there is an eroticism to that and listen you look at the porn tubes and you see it all over the place it's all about people tricking tricking you know (laughs) Yeah. young women into doing something like fake taxi fake audition yeah you know sleeping this person and then this idea of this trickery deception defiling is not only i think erotic for the masculine i i sense that it's erotic universally mm. because it's erotic for the masculine in other ways as well the self-destruction of the self we are all i hold the woman it just so happens that some of us have cocks and some of us have yonis like Mm -hmm. okay but we're all desecrating the feminine we're all the mother we're all made up of the same wolf fur shark's teeth hummingbird feathers pine resin it's my favorite fucking spiel but we're all made up of the mother right yeah and there is some strange and interesting eroticism to destruction and i think that's what creates the polarity and and so the curious thing is to really own this deep aspect of the shadow that we don't want to look at that says it actually turns me on yeah. to destroy myself and potentially to destroy others. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't temper this. And I think the the psychopaths and the sociopaths have separated themselves enough that they can actually do it to others and not feel guilty. But it's way easier to do it to yourself and not feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of this is, a lot of this eroticism is done in this kind of self. It's sort of masturbatory. Yeah, this (laughs) is kind of like masturbatory self-destruction. There's an edge there, like to speak to, I think what Vi was was, um, touching in her share. There, we we may not allow ourselves to claim it or, or own it, but there's a there's a hunger for the edge. You know, we want to feel the titillation of being on like the precipice of what we're most terrified of. And that's, you know, helplessness, death. And there's and there's, you know, it's it's sort of one of the great mysteries of life still to me. But I did have a distinct kind of aha moment in the past year. I was I was speaking with um a teacher of mine. And she said to me, you know, I sense this exile in you that is like almost suicidal. And my my ego identity was like, no way. I, I love, fucking love life. life. I love I life love, more than anybody. I, I'm the, I love life the very most. <laughs> Look at all this evidence. And then I really dropped into that. And I remembered as a as being like 13, I was very, very defiant. Um, it was like this brat energy that didn't want to do anything that she was told. And my mom took me to a psychologist, and the psychologist did like a test on me and um I got diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder, which I think is just, you know, it's my personality. I don't want to put it in a box, but like it's me being in touch with this streak of emotion and charge and and mm. this this energy that wants to fight and it wants to 
pull and it's just this fierceness in me and so that was like really shamed from when I was really young but what he said to my mom was he was like Caitlin's so defiant that she will harm herself just to say no and but she wouldn't Mm -hmm. harm anybody else and that was his assessment of me and looking back after I got that read from the woman that I was speaking to I I started remembering like way back in my past having like these fantasies of suicide and I had shit shadowed over them with my joy and all of the new memories and stuff but there deep in my in my basement is this like this young girl who's just coming into her hormones and her emotions and her volatility and her spectrum of being um that felt like I'm really dark and reacted to herself by claiming this persona and this identification with this love of life and joy and light and all this stuff. And so I've been dancing with this force in me that's destroy, destroy me, destroy myself and, you know, oppose what I know is good for me. Mm. Yes. And I mean, and I think both of you can probably speak to this because you both share the experience of being a lover of mine and so i can mm-hmm. speak to a purview of knowing you both in that way it's been you know a long time for you and i <laughs> caitlin but for the record <laughs> for, for the record i know what everybody likes to say out uh, there, yeah, yeah. it's been a long time let's check the book but, uh, <laughs> over a it decade. was a while ago <laughs> yeah so but ultimately it's there's an interesting way that you can play that energy where you want that but in the healthy expression in a relationship, Mm -hmm. there's a place where you allow yourself to be annihilated, but it's in a container of love and by someone who genuinely loves you and who would never actually hurt you and will hold you for however many days it takes, no matter whatever happens and will fight to the death to protect you. But there's the eroticism that actually gets to healthfully unlock in that situation. Well, because I think in the healthy way, that end of the polarity of masculine and feminine, it doesn't matter what gender you are, but whatever polarity that you identify with, the feminine being the full surrender, mm-hmm. you know, surrender to pain potentially and, you know, BDSM or, or dominant submissive kind of containers or, you know, just just the, the absolute surrender to, I trust you to take this where, you know, you want to go with it. And I completely open myself to receiving it. And, and, and it creates the, the intensity of that polarity. Mm-hmm. So I think in like what I was speaking of earlier, I actually do think that there was an intelligence in that energy, but not in a healthy container. You know, it's not like me having those feelings or being drawn or to the eroticism of, you know, the desecration of me was wrong. It was just misplaced in a in a in a wrong container. No, you were and, tapping. You were tapping a powerful spigot. Yeah, like mm-hmm. one of the most powerful spigots and that I, that exist. You was it was just tainted. It was tainted. It water. wasn't done in your energy. power. Yeah, exactly like that that knowing that that's why you know owning these things and allowing ourselves to go to that wild place that says I actually like this. Yeah, and I choose it for myself, not because you're forcing it upon me yeah. or giving it to me that's that's the balance of like allowing yourself to own that and that's like that's the reclamation mm-hmm. that's being in your authority and your sexuality and i think there's also i think there's also an element of your sexual energy and pleasure even laughter like these higher vibrational states of being like your moment of orgasm there's a reason why 
Tantra is something that's, you know, and sex magic is talked about so prevalently right now. And it's something that we're diving into. That energy is so high vibrational that in that moment, like if you have this kink of desecration and in that moment of eroticism and ecstasy around it, it feels like there's this alchemical fire of actually transmuting energy within the body of stuff that actually might be out of order or misaligned or, you know, dark or stuck. Like I actually think in in the safe container that, you know, we've danced in in, in our um in our sex life, going into that place where I'm in my own authority, in the surrender, and having that high vibrational energy of, of orgasm, I feel like it's transmuting things in my body of what I've experienced in my past. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's not like this is a single one-off anecdote. Even in Own the Day, I wrote about different clinical studies that showed that people who participate in dominant submissive sexual behavior, which can be either sex playing the dominant role or the submissive role, have a variety of improved markers over the aggregate. You know, more resistance to depression, more resistance to anxiety, mm. more social adjustment. Like they're, they're, they're a, it seems like it up levels many of the psychological factors that we have because yeah. fuck, life is hard. Yeah. Like there's going to be yes. certain points where you need to surrender and endure. And there's going to be certain points where you have a lot of power and you need to mm. trust yourself not to abuse it. And if you so can... either way, this is, a, this is the playground, but you have to be careful that it's a playground and it's not a place where you make a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can, if you can like practice that, like for me to, you know, I can, I can use an example of, you know, me and my full surrender. Like when I walk into ayahuasca and I had the most difficult ceremony of my entire life, like two months, just two months ago, my level of surrender to the challenge, the suffering, the intensity of it, like I'm there for it because I think it's something that I practice. I practice it a lot through life, but I've also practiced it really safely in our container. Well, so cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, might as well tell the story. Might as well tell the story. We haven't told the story yet, but yeah. here we are. I'm drinking whiskey. It's starting yeah. to make mm-hmm. me feel flush. <laughs> you know, might as well, might as well go into it. Wine. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Love Cheers. you. Cheers. Mm. So um, going into this last ayahuasca ceremony, um, I was having a lot of stuff arise um, the months leading up to it of recognizing how much I don't trust life, essentially. And it was becoming a really big barrier in our partnership where, you know, situations would happen and, you know, Aubrey has been nothing but absolutely, you know, honoring and honest and reverent and the absolute opposite of what any of my life experience has been. You know, you've really just held our sacred union in its in its utmost integrity and, and shown up the greatest you possibly could. And still the programs of what I've been through in life 
were so deeply stuck in my nervous system when a situation would arise where you did nothing. Um, I could feel in my body how much I didn't trust because I would automatically go to the worst case scenario. I wouldn't look at you as who you've been to me, how you treat me, how you serve me, how you see me and be like, okay, I trust you. It was like my mind automatically goes to the worst case scenario. And that was a pretty consistent theme leading up to this ceremony, which I was- I remember there was one particular moment where you expressed that I don't trust life. And I was like, babe- I, sa I said, I don't trust love. You don't trust mm -hmm. love. And I said, well, if you don't trust love, you don't trust me. And it was like a really key moment where you were like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, wow. that's right. And I was like, that really hurts, yeah. you know, it really hurts that you don't trust me because there's never been a moment, even before we were together, where I've even slightly put spin on the cue ball yeah. of mm -hmm. my truth and integrity with you. And to not be trusted was, that was a deep challenge for me. And I think, I don't even think at that point you realized that your global mistrust mm -hmm. of the masculine and your global mistrust of love was being projected onto me specifically. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it developed in that way where I would recognize in those instances that I was painting everyone else's face onto you in, in the reaction that my body would have. Mm. But, and I wouldn't consciously, I didn't consciously feel like I don't trust you. It's like when I could really center myself and drop into my heart and breathe for a moment, my knowing is like, I know I trust you. I don't have like a doubt in my mind, but my body was having this totally opposite signal that's like, alarm, 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 you know where this is going. That looks a little bit too uncomfortable for me or like, you know what it's like when, you know, this girl does this or that happens or whatever. And it just started, you know, I started to become like a pressure cooker. And, it and was for those of you who think Vi's being exaggerative, she literally had two birthdays where she found out her partner who she thought was monogamous had impregnated another woman on the side like yeah there's i mean it's not like it's not like there's been a mild amount of mistrust i mean mm. literally every person you've been with there's been a deeply challenging betrayal that yeah. has happened at some point or another and i mean and, and with the feminine too yeah. you know so it wasn't like it was only that's why i said I, I can't trust love. It's like, I believe in love. I feel it, I experience it, I see it, I give it, I receive it, but I don't trust it to keep me safe because I've done it all my life and it's never shown me that I could. And you want it so bad. And I wanted it so bad. And, and um, God, thank you, wine. That's why we brought this. Um, <laughs> I wanted it so bad. And with you, it was, it was so difficult because it's like, it's right here but my body just hadn't caught up yet, you know? And we would talk through it and we would get to a great place and we would move through it beautifully. And my knowing was like, I trust this, I trust this. And, and my body just still hadn't caught up yet. So I knew going into this ayahuasca journey that I was facing something massive. And um, I won't get into too much of the details because I don't want to hijack the whole um, podcast, but- Hijack away. Mm -hmm. Going going into my second ceremony, I mean, we, we had the first ceremony and it felt like it didn't fully start until the ceremony ended. Well, and we, we have to also share that as ayahuasca does, 
the ceremony started to bring things to the surface. Oh, for sure. And this is the way ayahuasca works. As soon as for anybody listening who wants to do an ayahuasca journey, for those who already have, we all know that the moment you say yes, and it's not just saying yes, but knowing that you're actually going to do it, the ceremony starts. You're committed. And and as you get closer, the things that need to be worked on will come to the surface and show themselves. And what was happening that week is it was a deep deep challenge a a real death portal for us because i couldn't take a step without that step being doubted and there was projections and fantasies and ideas of my intentions and other people who were in our group's intentions and all of these things that ultimately were just coming up and boiling and bubbling and boiling and bubbling until it got to the point where i was frozen in a prison where i couldn't do anything without being second guessed and mm-hmm. you couldn't exist without being p- put back into a past timeline where you'd been betrayed yeah and this was leading up to the second ceremony a ceremony in which we couldn't even look at each other or even i went to your mat to say like have a great journey sweetheart and you couldn't even you know lift your eyes to meet mine yeah and and we fucking love each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, this was I mean, that's how deep it was going into this ceremony. Yeah. And I and I felt um that entire day leading up to it, I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want love from anybody. Like all I wanted was to just be alone. Like I couldn't want less to be around anybody. And I felt um very, very deeply depressed. And it was touching a, a level of depression that I felt a lot in life. So to for it to be so alive again was crushing. And um, so we go into ceremony and as he said, you know, like multiple people, at least five people came up to my mat to wish me a good ceremony. And I remember just grabbing my journal and I, I started writing in my journal. And what I was writing was, I wish I could shrink and become invisible because I can't stand one more person trying to come over here and like, connect with me and give me love. Cause like, I can't, I just can't receive it right mm-hmm. now. And I remember Parker came up to me who is the sweetest person on planet earth and he wished me a good ceremony. And I felt like such an asshole cause I just couldn't muster up the love to like give him a tiny smirk or like anything. I just looked up and like did as best as I could to send him anything and yeah a brief interlude interlude. one of our other sisters we were in here i had a a meeting with parker here today and as a brief interlude parker's super experienced he took over helping to run spirit quest after don howard's passing and he's been around ayahuasca and wachuma medicine spaces for a long time one of our sisters was having a really brutal time after ceremony one and he came up to her and is loving impeccable mm-hmm. he's like a pure being he's a pure being he comes up and he says i know this is hard and i know it feels like you're not going to make it through this, but I, but I I can tell you that in two days from now you'll be back here and you'll be looking forward to drinking another one. And she just goes, "Shut the fuck up, Parker! Oh my God. Shut the I know fuck who up!" This was. <laughs> and Parker today when we were laughing about it because she was in here too, Parker. we were laughing about it. He was like, "And you know." That was the perfect thing for you to say. Oh my God. And oh my God. It so happens that I was also right. And she's like, I know you're right, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, But yes, it was yeah. the right thing for you to say. Yeah. It's like it's like fucking sneering at 
I don't even know. He's just an angel. But anyway, so we we go into ceremony and um, I went to drink and this was with El Dragon, if any of you have heard the podcast. And I walk up there and he looks up at me and and he could tell I was really off and he asked me what was wrong. And, he, and I told him I, I feel really depressed and started crying before I even drank. I was crying during the yoga by myself. And he gave me a cup and he said, we'll, we'll, we'll drop into this. And I trusted that. And as soon as the medicine touched my lips, my a little bit of my armor came off and I was less like, don't look at me, don't breathe in my direction. Like I settled a little bit. And it evolved after I drank my my second cup. And, you know, as, as many of my other ayahuasca ceremonies, I started going through past memories. And two of them being, you know, the two former partnerships where I remembered on my birthday there being another woman and that they had gotten her pregnant. And like, and then I moved through just different. I mean, I could literally write, there could be a trilogy at least of movies about the things that I've been through in the relationships. The chronicles of betrayal. The chronicles of fuckery times a million. Fuckery and, can sound fun. Okay. <laughs> Your fuckery was not yeah, fun. Yeah, I was like that. wizardry or soul, <laughs> soul crushing fuckery. Fuckery. Is, fuckery is a good Saturday night All right. <laughs> on certain places. You'll name it something soul else. Crushery. We'll figure it out yeah. when we write the script. The crushery. <laughs> the crushery. <laughs> yeah. The right. crushery. So, um, I'm moving oh. through all these different memories and, and what I start feeling in my body was resentment. Mm -hmm. Like I stood up on my knees at one point and I was looking up at, you know, God is everywhere, but I was looking up and I was like, what in the actual fuck? Like, how is this possible that I have loved so deeply and given love so freely and I'm not saying I was always the most innocent. Like I had definitely gone through my phases of also being the transgressor. Like I, I'm, I'm not innocent, but to, to, you know, that wasn't for this journey part of my process. And I couldn't believe how many things that I had gone through. Like it literally felt like insanity to have experienced so many things in this one life. And I'm only 34 years old. And I was, I wouldn't even call it anger. I was resentful. I had so much resentment towards life and you can feel it in my energy for just suffering so greatly. And I had to sit with that for a while and I could feel the armor in my body. And the armor felt like, it felt like a boundary that said no. So on some level, it kind of felt healthy, I think in its, in its, um, it was adaptive for the time in which the, you had it, exactly, but it was but time it, for it to go. But it got stuck. Yeah. Because and, it does, and, I, and in I, those... had, I had felt that too, and this was something that I had mentioned to you, and it come up prior in our relationship. Yeah. Like I felt this subtle level of resentment towards, the especially masculine. you know, towards yeah, towards the masculine for sure. But there was just some level of resentment towards the masculine that was felt personally yeah. towards me, especially when it involved like my lust. lust. Yeah, you know, like my expression of lustfulness, obviously in our sexual congress like yeah that was you know generally removed but any time that it was felt or sensed there was some way in which there was a subtle denigration or a subtle expression and it was of always resentment and it was like buried in sarcasm to yeah. the mm -hmm. point where i was super unaware of it and you would point it out and you'd be like i'm just kidding i'm no, like well would, there was like it, you would there was like a biting part of this you would point it out and 
I didn't consciously feel that, but then to sit with it for a moment, I'd be like, you're, you could be right. Like, I don't actually like feel that in my body, but like, I can absolutely see how that could be there. And so, you know, I did start to get a little bit more curious about that, but yeah, like fully feeling the resentment was step number one. And that resentment was the most, I mean, like I don't even, impenetrable armor. Like there was nothing getting through that. And and it's wild to to know at this point that I was so out of touch with that. Like I've processed a lot of anger. I've processed rage. I've processed grief. I've processed all kinds of emotions. Resentment was not one that I ever mm. felt like I connected with. Like I didn't even understand how people could feel so resentful. And I typically, you know, like I walk about life and I feel so grateful and I'm joyous and I'm loving and I'm There's happy. the exile. But the exile mm. of the me who had so much resentment was a fragmentation that I was like, okay, if you want to die this away, you have to feel mm. it. And that was the first step. And um, my intention that night was to feel my divine truth in my body in every moment. So any moment where I might have like a, an attachment to a past timeline, any moment where I would potentially paint somebody else's face on your face, like I wanted to feel truth in my body. My knowing felt like it was already there, but my body was catching up and that was my mm -hmm. prayer. And so this journey was very, very somatic and very uncomfortable. Like the resentment in my body felt like fire. And following that, um, when I moved through, you know, all the resentment I felt towards a lot of different men and women who I felt betrayal and, um, you know, a plethora of other things towards, um, I felt the separation that I, that was present between you and I. And it was the most soul crushing thing that I could feel. And so my resentment very quickly turned into like my heart feeling like it was cracking open. Like it was, it was the thing that I incepted into my experience so that I could open my heart again to keep moving forward. And then from there, it was just a floodgate. Like every moment that I had my entire life where, and I, you know, I've spoken about this a lot to a lot of people, but I mean, the memories of how many times I've been in the fetal position on the floor just shaking and crying inconsolably, like like panic attacking, breathing and snot everywhere. And just, you know, by myself in those moments, just feeling the absolute betrayal and separation from love. It took every one of those moments. And I mean, it's for sure in, you know, more than 30 of my whole life, like probably that's probably on the low end of how many times I've I've been in that position. And it combined them all into the felt sense of separation in every single cell of my body. Like it was the absolute separation from God and mm -hmm. love and all the betrayal and all the lying and all of just, you know, like the 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 catastrophe of all of those emotions were just moving through my entire system up and, and down. And I don't trust love is separation from God. Exactly. Yeah. Love and God being synonymous. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so I was there for a long time and what felt like it kept progressing it further and further and further was feeling how 
alone I felt my whole life. Like, having to be the one to pick myself up off the floor and get myself to stand back up and take a first step and get out of my bedroom and go eat and go try to just live life and get myself to work because the person that I felt that separation from was always the person I loved the most. It was always my closest friend or my partner. And that feeling of being alone and suffering was, it was crippling. It was so unbelievably crippling to feel that. And, you know, for hours, I was just having to feel that. And I was inconsolable and I was trying to not disrupt the whole ceremony by being like, you know, losing my mind and actually feeling it to the level that I did. So I was trying to, I'm pretty good at crying quite quietly. Um, and I was calling out for help because I knew like I could not make it through by myself. That's, that's how I got myself to this point was always picking myself up, but I needed help. Like I really, really needed help. And so I called out psychically for help. And I, did, I wasn't calling out for anyone specifically. I was crying out to God, like, please help me. Like I can't, I can't do it on my own anymore. And um, for any of you who've listened to the podcast with Blue, I knew at the beginning of this retreat that we needed to be next to each other for some reason. And she felt the same, which She's I was so excited good. about. And so Aya had been telling her for, you know, she said 15 minutes or something like that to go over to my mat. And she said, she was kind of reckoning with the medicine, like she's in her own space. I'm not gonna impose on her journey. And, you know, and finally Aya was just like, go to Vailana. And I was hunched over with my face in my bucket, not because I was gonna purge, but because I had so many tears and snot, like, nothing I could do was like tissues were just ridiculous. So I was just allowing it all to like purge into my bucket. And she put her hand on my back and ceremony ended, you know, probably five minutes later. And you came up and you sat behind me. And at one moment I opened my eyes and I saw Adrian sitting in front of me with her hands in the air. And that moment was so healing for me because for the first time in my life, I was witnessed in how much I've suffered. And not like each instance of when it's happened, but like it was in all of me in that moment. And every mm -hmm. one of you was there holding a space for me to die that away and to let it go. And that, you know, in and of itself, I mean, Blue was, you know, being a, magical priestess and I thought stewarded. she was literally three people <laughs> yeah. I, th I think I think I think several people and they were like uh for what yeah it was just and I was like oh it was all blue yeah it was just blue. <laughs> I'm sorry blue. you thought Valka was over yeah. there yeah no it was just blue and and I felt her the whole time and I felt I felt the energy that she was moving I felt the energy she was sending up my spine I could feel what she was moving out and what she was sending in and eventually like the inconsolable part of me, once I purged, I started to feel like I came back to myself and like my soul came back into my body. 
And I remember sitting up to face her and she was blowing tobacco on my heart and all over me. And I started, you know, like when I'm in those spaces, I also have all of my own kind of magic that happens. And um, I started working on myself and speaking and, and she looks up at me and looks me in the eyes and she just says, welcome home. And like, <laughs> and I could feel that, like I could really, really feel that. Like for the first time in my life, I get to live from my truth. Like I get to be my truth in my body. Right now. Right now. Right now, not you five years ago, no. 10 years ago. And I think, you know, you said I was dying, all of that. And what came up for me that was really helpful for me because I'm currently moving through my own death portal that I did not see coming. Um, but the death, the sense of dying is actually, it's we die these parts of ourselves through feeling. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they die is because we aren't separate from them anymore. Exactly. So there ceases to be other. Yeah. We're feeling to bring it home. And that's the important thing for people who, you know, whether or not you're doing plant medicine, like you can reach these experiences in breath work. And like, there's so many different modalities to experience deep healing. But if you want to pretend like you can just run from it all your life, like you gotta feel it. You yeah. have you, you have, have to, to go into it. it to be able to let it go. Otherwise, it's just this fractured part of you that you're just shoving away, and all this life force energy is going into that to keep it intact. And it shows up in what you project onto other people, and it literally keeps you chained to who you have been, and takes away your wings from who you are and who you can be. And it was um. Yeah, that, I mean, it was the most extraordinary healing I've ever had. And, you know, I anchored it with doing some sound healing that hopefully if the the quality is good enough, we can release at some point because it was really special. But um, oh, it was magnificent. <laughs> Ryan, did that come through? Vi's sound healing from night two? From night two in ayahuasca. But I want to say that one of the very important things here, first of all, that was the most gangster thing I've ever heard a medicine person ever say, was that that moment when Blue when Blue just said, welcome home. Yeah. It's like, God <laughs> damn. Yeah. I just watched her work for 15 minutes and I did my best holding the energy of love in your back and there was nothing much else I could do at that point. I knew how to do at that point and also... I was just watching Blue work and it was just like watching a master beyond compare. So yeah. just like the vessel of spirit itself mm -hmm. moving and blowing tobacco and, and channeling energy. She would 
go and lift her hands to the heavens and draw energy from i don't know fucking odin azus <laughs> i don't know where she was drawing it from <laughs> wherever and and like to watch Everything. her do that and then but the moment the moment you were back she just says welcome home mm-hmm. and it was like so beautiful but the thing that i think really impressed upon me and has actually helped me re-understand a, a deep calling to write a different type of book is a book about the deep fundamental desires and needs of a human being. Mm-hmm. And the first one of these five essential needs that I've identified is to be known and to be seen. Yeah. Huh? And and this is something that you said is like you had been through all of this pain, but you'd held it alone. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you were seen. You were seen in your pain. Mm-hmm. And you were seen in your struggle. And you were seen in your difficulty. And when that happens, you're no longer alone. We're not meant to do this alone. Yeah. We're not supposed to do this alone, but everything that has been organized in our society and in the way that we live outside of the tribal context with all of these separations and these avatars and these ways in which we put on a partial face of our truth and we say, yeah, I'm all right, you know, I'm doing, and then in the privacy of our own heart, we're suffering and we're struggling. Yeah. You know, the Robin Williams of our of our own psyche of just yeah. suffering quietly alone mm. and not letting anybody really see it. Like there's this deep, deep part of the healing process is to be seen. That's mm. one of the beauties of getting to such a place of desperation in your pain where you have nowhere else to turn except to look up to the sky or reach out and say, help me, mm. help me. Help me is a prayer to be seen and to be held. Yeah, and. So that's the silver lining of that depth of despair where it's like, I can't, I can't help myself and And, we're not meant to. And I think people, people who've had, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of challenges with capital R religion and, but there's also a beauty that there's people who are religious who can, who can speak to Jesus and, and feel like Jesus knows them and Jesus sees them. And they can have that connection with that expression and man- and their idea, their construct of God personified as you know a guy who died on the cross with long hair and and <clears throat> and I obviously have a very beautiful relationship with the Christ energy, and, and I think that's a powerful way to do it. And if you have that access, so that God or Jesus can see you and can know you, you know, then that's beautiful you have to be mindful that if that god that you're projecting is a god of judgment then you're going to have shame and then you're going to be afraid to show even god what mm. needs to be seen what needs to be seen and mm-hmm. this is this is why it's so yeah, important to so understand true. jesus or understand god as the one who loves you with no record of wrong that forgives you without you ever having to ask for forgiveness because they've that god has never even noticed any wrong Mm -hmm. has never flinched never even seen a wrong and this is the mystical wisdom of ted decker as he interprets and reads like the real mystical text of the christ and of like the gnostic truth behind all of this and this is important but you can find this not only in the divine but you can find it in people and this is what we've been doing in fit for service it's one of the reasons why it's been so powerful 
for the last three years is that we've been helping create containers where people can share this not only with the divine, which we all have a troubled relationship with to some degree because of what we've learned and what we've projected from our own understanding of society and our own parents onto our mm-hmm. gods, but to find that in other people is also so, so powerful. Yeah. You know, Because we are all divine expressions of the one. And so to, to have that expressed in in form is also like oh man yeah one of the most helpful practices i ever did was at my very first ecstatic dance i did with you and at the end it was holotropic um oh the oh the perinatal um matrices matrices thank you um but from stan graf who also yes created holotropic breathwork that's where my head was at but yes um in that process you go back into the womb you die in a sense and in the death period of that experience i allowed myself to watch my life from the eyes from a witness perspective and i naturally took on this energy of like divine mother and what i saw was i felt so much compassion for the me that i was so hard on i watched her every day get up and try her best and mm-hmm. reach for people and help them and harm herself t- sometimes and lose herself in self-deprecating thoughts and strive and strive and feel alone and be distracted and all the things that i was so frustrated with myself for, for. and i realized like if i died right now and i watched my life back from this lens i have nothing but love for this person and how she showed up Mm. and it was there was no judgment from that lens but in ourselves we don't give ourselves permission to hold ourselves in that divine nurture that's a part of us and there's also like to to what you were speaking before too about like a god that holds no judgment like if you have that there was a part of me that felt so ashamed of everything that I've been through for participating in everything that I've been through. So there was even a part of me because I was so afraid of judgment because I was already judging myself Mm -hmm. so harshly that I was afraid of allowing for people to even really hold space for me, you know? So a lot of it too can be self-imposed if you're pointing judgment towards yourself in, in any way to actually receive the support that you need in life to be really seen or witnessed in like the truest extent. Like after after a certain period of my life, because I had hidden my true emotions for so long, like it was actually, you know, when I started my spiritual path, once I met both of you, I would be honest with even the people at the grocery store. Like when they would ask me, how are you doing? If I wasn't okay, I would be like, I'm having a really rough time right now. And I'm not trying to put that on you, but it's just authentically where I'm mm-hmm. at. Like, I'm not just going to casually say, like, I'm fine. I'm great. Like, I'm I'm no longer betraying myself. By- well, it wasn't that. It wasn't that instant, you know. And I, and I must say that it wasn't that instant because I know that there were times, and this was this was deeply challenging for me. There was times in, you know, in when I've known you, when you're in in deep challenge, and I would be like, "How are you, babe?" I wouldn't mm. say babe necessarily. I don't know what I would say back then because I was pretending that Vi. I didn't feel babe. How are you, Vi? <laughs> and you don't even call me babe now. And 
Sometimes I call you babe. Mostly call me Queenie. That's true. But there was still a part of you that wanted to show that you were doing fine. Mm-hmm. And and like and I would know that there was something that wasn't fine. Mm-hmm. That wasn't fine at all. Like I would see you in a place where everybody was dancing and dancing is a part of your soul and you weren't dancing. And I'd be like, how are you? Like, oh, I'm great. Everything's great. Yeah. You and, know, and, th- that, and that was shame, right? There's, yeah. And there's other layers of gaslighting yourself to be like, I did the work. I worked through it to feel okay. Oh so now God. I'm, you know, like I also did a great deal of gaslighting myself a lot in what you're speaking of. So like, I mean, there are, for anyone listening, if you've followed any of my journey or, you know, you look to to me as having it together, like, I've been a mess. <laughs> like, I'm so, I'm still I will figuring. say, though, I feel um, there, if I'm really dropping into deep self-honesty, I think there's been a projected envy in me um, of how you're willing to, like, you may not always acknowledge what's obvious. Mm-hmm. But it's clear when you're when you're off. It's mm-hmm. clear when you're bothered. You're not so self-betraying that you won't embody what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've been processing for myself is a deep fracturing, a deep fracturing, which has um, been <sighs> recognizing um, how early on I I had to be cool and and no. I, Spoiler alert, you don't have to be. <laughs> but um, that was my adapt. That was my adaptation. Um, and it is it was armor because, you know, I dressed up for Cruella, as Cruella for Halloween. Um, when I watched that movie. It's extraordinary. Can you do a little shot? When I watched that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kaylin's costume is on. Part. I was the most bisexual I've ever been. She looked so beautiful. I was like, wow, thanks. Huh? I can't stop staring at you. But when I watched that movie, something came. That says a lot, actually. You're kind of bisexual. <laughs> yes. Success. It's not like she's like a little bit bisexual. And so that was That like also a... came out in, in ayahuasca. Just to, to really quickly, I had a little, yeah. I had a little coming out with myself, like an acknowledgement of my like curiosity and my love for appreciating the feminine. And it was funny. I had like a little coming out of the closet and I envisioned telling my mom and it was funny. So back to your yeah, story. No, that's a <laughs> to come into full acknowledgement. Let's, let's just stay here. Um, no, but that's uh these are interesting poles that we're holding. We're very similar, but we have actually different adaptive mechanisms. And for me, I've been highly identified with being um I am very loving. I do really appreciate the feminine and I'm, I am cool, you know, and I love love. And so, but my adaptation became, um, to almost to be so free that I was enslaved by freedom, was enslaved by freedom. Freedom was my coping mechanism for the, the fire of vulnerability that it is to commit myself to something or someone. And I've been going through this reckoning as I transition a relationship recently where it's been a, I went to Aya, same Aya ceremony that we all sat in together with a prayer of um, help me open my heart because I could feel there was armor in my in my body against love, um, against which is which is crazy to me though. It's crazy. It's crazy right? to me because the Caitlin that I know is the most fiercely loving person. Yes, like you too. You too love so hard 
you love so impossibly hard yes. and you're so kindred in this deep love and i even now and i know that i know that this has been the story Mm-hmm. that's been told that you have this armor to love and maybe it's true maybe it's not i don't under i don't claim to understand it but it doesn't i cannot compute it so i'll uh, i'll elaborate a little bit because it's what's interesting about it is i i do love i love big i love fiercely i love wide i love life and i love everyone that i know and i love loving um however i noticed a shut down in my body. So you mentioned a lot about what your body was holding and a shutdown in my body with um, commitment. It was like anything that felt like this is going to take me away from loving the world. Ah, And I'm still working through this, but something that came in pretty clear for me was there was a vulnerable piece of me that is so buried in the darkness that want, actually wants to be fully held by somebody that I had cultivated this rich persona and and it is me also. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's one or either or, but there was a vulnerable place in myself that I couldn't even touch that was excited and drawn to and comforted by the idea of being of being fully loved by somebody, but there was such a fear of what that would mean if I believed in it, that felt like it would kill me if it, because the truth was on some level, I don't believe that they will. I don't believe Mm -hmm. that they'll stay. And I wrote a poem, I'm gonna release it soon, about the sailor and how the sailor of my body loves the sea and how I I wouldn't, I don't wanna trade the empire world to be one man's queen let's read it now yeah i think that's a yeah we're gonna let's take we'll take a bathroom break and we'll launch into this poem and then we'll we'll let's go into your story i'll tell you what came through after that all right all right we're back and we're ready for your poem all right So this was my body's truth, is part of my body's truth. Um, Oh, how you are home to me. I am always at rest in your arms. Soft, sedate, and sweet you render me. You make me young and innocent again. But my body is a sailor a pirate queen, savvy at sail on the stormy sea. She is wind-whipped and crass with a devilish sparkle in her dark eyes. Hard and heavy she moves, her hands wear time like diamond rings. She sings of lost lovers, she raves at the moon, and rages over bottles of Caribbean wine. She is a force, a tornado of freedom, She's a natural at destruction, but in her nature, she spreads life around the way a bee carries pollen. Her restlessness is a mission that I no longer try to understand, but you are the shore upon which we land. Still, my pussy sings like a siren. She wants more to devour. With you, she is a flower that opens to be seen 
Can I trade an empire world to be one man's queen? I dream of a swallow tattooed on my chest. I think of my sisters. I yearn for home. I consider building on your land, taking root, committing myself to the infirmary of love. But my body is still the captain and my heart is still a bee. I love you deeply, baby. But sailors love the sea. Mm. <laughs> to the sailors. <laughs> to the sailors. <laughs> to the sailors. <laughs> the poem is fucking fire. <laughs> so good. I always get a little shaky when I read my words. I'll get better. Um, I still do too. Do you? <laughs> of all the things, you know, I, the can, I can give a speech to 500, 1,000 with no notes, just a vague idea of what I'm going to say. And I'll look at hundreds of people or I'll think of yeah. millions of people on a podcast and I'll be cool hand Luke. <laughs> and then I'll go to read a little poem and my fucking hand yeah, is like, shivering. I'm like, oh just... God, <laughs> what is wrong with me? You're alive. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, so I write, I write this poem. I shared it with you guys because I, you know, for all the poets out there, you know, you know, you're like, you write something and when it lands, you're like, mm, yep, that's my truth. That was fucking good. I love that one. I want to share it. Um, it was interesting. It was a spell. It was like, as soon the minute I wrote it, two days later, my the home that I landed on changed, disappeared. The shore said, you're a sailor, baby. Yeah, I said, I heard Go you. Go sail. Go sail. And what came through that was my own non-medicinal obliteration like what happened um, for you, Vi. And what I noticed was my nervous system, even though my mind was like, this is my truth. This is my truth. Like, I felt good writing that poem. And it's still part of me. It's part of my truth. But in the exile was um, a piece of me that wants to be at home, wants to feel safe. And my body just started panicking, and it never stopped for six weeks, hasn't. Um, and I've been learning from it, learning deeply from like, what's here? If this was so clearly my truth, why does my body feel like this? And so I made a commitment to be with the feelings and um, not to gaslight them and not to bypass them and to listen to them. And what was interesting was I, um, I, d I went into combo this past weekend to work on my somatic body because I could feel the same thing through Aya, which is really your body holding. It's holding energy. It's the armor that I described to you that you're like, I can't understand that. The armor was my body, like in my tissues, car accidents, you know, ugh, dare I go there? Like, go there. <laughs> like sex work at a point you know, in my life earlier. Um, so many times that I gave all of myself in a place that I couldn't be safe 
that I had conditioned my body to say, like, safe isn't sexy, and sex can't be, can't be safe. And so there was a fracturing there. And when I went into combo on the first day, I did hape to open the space. And as soon as I... For people who don't know what combo is, it's uh, actually a toxin that comes from a frog that's in typically in, from Suriname or um, different places in South America. And it is an intense flush that is usually accompanied by an intense and sometimes violent purge that really allows you to purge deep, deep, deep energy. And it's a, it's a very powerful, not necessarily psychedelic, but mm-hmm. a very powerful indigenous medicine. So just for people who don't understand what she's yeah. saying when she says combo, let me just clear that. Thank you very much. Um, it was interesting because Aubrey's actually had a challenging experience on combo and I don't think And it's, a beautiful one. And a beautiful one, yes. Um, so I was hesitant, but the um, I have done ayahuasca I've sat with ayahuasca now um, 14 times, and it's been five years at least since I've purged on it. So my body, my sailor body, has gotten so wind-whipped and hardy that she's like, we know what this is, we're not throwing up. We're not letting go, we're not letting go. That was the armor. I'm still loving, but my body was like adaptive and strong and like, I know how to move in this world. I'm gonna be free, I'm gonna be powerful, I'm gonna be resilient. And that was the armor that I felt around my heart. And when I went into the ceremony and had my, received the hape, um, the first thing that came into my mind was, as I closed my eyes was, you can't leave a sailor. Mm. And I recognized that my identity was so wound up in being the one that can't be left that I had exiled part of myself. You can't leave a sailor because the sailor always leaves. Exactly. Mm. Sailors moving. And even a friend of mine recently at uh, at a show we were at, his friend was interested in me and he told he told him, Yeah, you can follow that you can follow that train, but she's always gonna be leading. <laughs> and that was my adaption. So but interestingly, to go back to like what the thread was was I was so fractured from my truth that it was like I was the cool girl that didn't even like for I found partnerships where there was no way, not even partnerships. It wasn't partnership. It was like I found I gave all my love to something that couldn't commit to me to make myself more secure. And in those agreements that I was making internally, I didn't even have permission to give my, to be mad to express even physically, let alone, you know, verbally. Like it was like total total fragmentation. So I'm currently in this process of allowing myself to be all of it, feel it all, make a poem about all of it, you know, but but own it, bring her home, bring home every bring home the sailor to myself and let and then like introduce her to the devoted, like soft, gentle, tired woman <laughs> that, that wants to land on shore and rest in somebody's arms. 
and what and what happens when you bring those two together you know and um it's been a real reckoning you know i think uh and we get to choose you know it's interesting is like we have these sensings and these but, it, but you don't always get to choose your body's holding a lot of energy and you can choose things that engage it to find these pieces of yourself but your soul will in my opinion your soul will inter interject at some point and make sure that you know that there's a part of you that's not being heard mm. and felt and that's that's the call that's the point where you might end up on the floor saying i need help mm. which is where i've been with both of you <laughs> the past mm. couple of weeks and reckoning with I all guess, of it i guess for me where my potentially my <clears throat> bias in the way that i view your situation lies is mm -hmm. not that i don't hold your <clears throat> former romantic partner that's caused all of this to come to tumult your shore of recent that's been you know the shore that left and and, and left you feeling like you're adrift at sea mm. and that the shore is never going to be there i have the highest admiration for that person and the deep and a deep deep brotherhood and love with that person mm -hmm. but i also feel that because i knew you when you were also armored and you were also resistant and you were also all maybe not the same but you were a variation of that i mean you were in a fucking hella toxic relationship mm -hmm. like, it was gnarly like what you were currently going through i mean dragged out of a hotel room by your hair and locked outside naked like gnarly shit right you were going through was so and much. it was so much. it was so so deep and on and the accidents and the and all of that and i pierced through all of that i just swam right swam right through it and and i swam right through it and you swam right to me and there was you know it ultimately wasn't what was ordained from spirit to be the forever thing but i just i just have this deep felt sense that somebody else can do the same when it's the right person and it will be the thing that will happen and and this is this is just my feeling and it's mm -hmm. it may be biased because i've because i've seen it you know right like I'm not saying that I'm right. I don't yeah. know if I'm right. Who the fuck knows? But it's been like, a long it's ten a years. <laughs> yeah, with a lot more shit. <laughs> yeah, know? sure, but sure, totally. sure, sure. I hear that. But and it's also the, the pattern. Right? But also the pattern has also been there, where like you've been in a bunch of shit and a bunch of toxicity, where you've only known a lot of pain and chaos and whatever, and someone, someone, just cut through all of that, and from the moment where your body said yes it never said no again you know from that moment and i really believe that person that person is there for you like i really believe that caitlin you know and and i know it's <clears throat> it's it's just an in, it's it's interesting it's however i also totally get what you're talking about the reticence to open yourself up to that because that is obviously there because i've watched also watched you reject 
some of the most eligible See? bachelors in the, in the world. <laughs> that's that span right? I'm like, talking about. Like, like, like there's a thing. <laughs> I mean, Caitlin, I won't mention his name, but Caitlin literally flat turned down one of the greatest athletes of our time who was openly hitting on her at an all-star conference where we happened to be around a supremely good-looking <laughs> and eligible bachelor who was like, hey, you want to hang out after this? Kate was like, nah. So like, <laughs> so like I there is some there is some resistance. resistance. And then there's also, there's also, I must say, <laughs> an interesting randomness that I think <laughs> both of <That> you is- <laughs> both of you i've seen where it's like it's like somehow when the cosmic time oh clock of just opens there's like a portal that opens when the moon is in the seventh house and jupiter is in the third fucking wave and the fucking the you're fog like, just it. lifts and you're like i love you like, yeah and then all of a sudden this motherfucker slides in and i'm like whoa where did that fucking person come from what the fuck I just watch you reject this person, this person, and this person, and this motherfucker gets in, and that's okay. And it's like, but it's it's interesting because I think I know many people who don't take many women, I should say, particularly who don't take the active role in. And I know the converse as well. I know some women who are like looking, just getting looks all the time, who don't take the active role in intentionally seeking that kind of sacred union partnership and and doing the doing the like chop wood carry water basic work to do that which is like i'm gonna go on you know 20 dates yeah i've never done 20 dates in these 30 (laughs) days right and and not neither you as well not this kind of intentional intentional like i'm going to intention it's always like happenstance and circumstance and then all of a sudden there's a a nice act or a or a, a one moment of a of a good look and a little flush of the and see and, and, and th- but with all of that like so to speak to some of those relationships what you what we kind of touched on at the beginning of this is really there until you're intentional until you are putting your prayer into mm-hmm. the world with a clear map yeah. and a clear commitment to that as Vi has done and here we see the result of her um, dedication to her prayer. Um, yep. Until you do that, she gets all the credit she... for this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, here we see your face. You showed up. You just walked in the room. I just there it was. You might have had a prayer yourself. Okay, I you know. Don't I, mind me. Just seeing her and falling in love at first sight, and continuing pursuing. to cultivate that with yes. radical love the whole time. But nonetheless, yeah. carry on. There's a there's a symbiosis here, but but I never had that, you know, because my mind was going like, basically, it was chasing redemption. It was chase. It needed to. There was a mechanism in me like that connected to what you shared at the beginning and the thread that you pulled from what she talked about with the previous partners, which was the push and pull of my wound only being salved by finding somebody who said no or I can't and trying to reclaim the experience of being chosen in an impossible situation. And it was only, that only felt really like enticing to me. It wasn't conscious, but so 
until you get really clear on all of these experiences of loss and suffering and confusion and doing the right thing the wrong way, doing you know the wrong thing the right way, all the all the closed doors and dead ends and and pain, they refine your prayer. Mm. So you can get clear and then you reach that point where you're ready to claim what is yours. And I think that's my process here, but it takes knowing the motives and the hidden desires in every corner of myself to get that really clear prayer. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I I I stand and face life with curiosity, like here's my prayer, show me. Show me what is for me. I mean, you could you could say in some regards that this pattern of, you know, you're almost redeeming your own defiance complex ah, by finding mm. the defiant. Holy shit, we by just trying, had a therapy session. <laughs> by, <laughs> by finding the defiance in another and then wow. redeeming your own defiance by having that defiance surrender. Mm. And, <gasps> and then mm. that could be that could be something. However, oh, there is the anomalous, anomalous stretch in which, I mean, that yes, there were moments where in certain levels of intoxication or whatever, you would be rather defiant and we'd have a fight or something like that. But <laughs> remember the penguins? <laughs> Never speak of that. <laughs> Where's the red wine? One of our one of our one of our one of our biggest fights was in the wee hours of the morning after a oh night of God. party. And Caitlin had drank so God, much Brian, so much it. red wine that her face had turned her mouth had turned black like the lips of the penguin from Batman. Oh and God. she was she was yelling she was she was yelling at me and I was like I couldn't help but think like you look like the penguin. Like all blood had she had been desanguinated. He not only thought it. He told me. <laughs> it was not a private thought <laughs> he might have told me later when i would have been less reactive i can't recall but i don't know i might have I no might yeah have yeah <laughs> i don't even know how we got here but that definitely happened <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it it is it is interesting and something to something to look at all of these patterns all, all the ways that we haven't reconciled all of the aspects of of ourself I think that's like a really kind of circling back to even where we began with talking about the darkness documentary and and a lot of it really highlighting you calling back Chris Marcus into your being and that being like a really big moment of what you were calling in in that space. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a something that i was not expecting to come through in the darkness and in the power of the darkness is that there's no escape there is just no escape like we can escape in an infinite number of ways we can escape by simply averting our gaze imagine Mm. a time where you're bored and you just look at something (laughs) imagine imagine (laughs) Most of us who are listening might be too young for this, but imagine being in the bathroom before we had smartphones, reading shampoo bottles. Oh yeah, Glade bottles, back all the whatever, whatever the fuck, whatever the <laughs> fuck, right? <laughs> like, it's like something. I was really into looking. And what are stories. we doing? We're we're escaping. Uh-huh, we're escaping present. a process that's happening in our mind because we're uncomfortable with our mind, and in the darkness. And we're uncomfortable with discomfort. You ain't got shit. You can wiggle. 
Like you can wiggle, you can breathe. You got no sound, you got no sight, you have nothing to do. So the things that need to come up, come up. And that's why to me, it was the most powerful medicine I've ever done. And the documentary, I mean, is, I mean, when we watched that, we just had the premiere, when we watched that, it was one of like the most powerfully brutal experiences for me to rewatch that because it was so deep and such a visceral experience of everything that I went through. But you start to learn where things are out of out of alignment mm-hmm. and there's no escape. There's no there's literally no way out. And I think that's what's both terrifying and exciting about this is like what happens when there's no way out? What happens when you have no salve, no opportunity to do anything, no substances, no distractions, no food, no water, no sight, no sound, no song, no talk to a friend, no look at your phone, no watch TV, no go for a walk. You got nothing. You got wiggle. That's your option. And I used it a lot. I wiggled. But that's not that effective. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's like a, a very, it's like the the <laughs> the least attractive option for all of the ways to to distract yourself. And but that's what was so powerful about it. And what I'd recognized is that I'd been surrounded by the feminine in particular, who had loved me as close to unconditionally as i'd ever known now i wasn't with you yet vi so i didn't have this iteration of an unconditional devotional love but i had my mom for my whole life and my grandma man they love me they love me like it's it's unfathomable Mm -hmm. the amount of love that that an unconditional love that they've given me i mean a story that i've shared often is someone recently went to my mom and said, aren't you so proud of your son? And she just looked at them dead in the eye and was like, what do you mean? Because he's successful now in his book and his, in his I've podcast. Always I've always been proud mm. of him from <laughs> the fucking drop, of course. right? Like that's the love that my mom's always had for me. And you had that love for me, Kate. Mm. I still do. You still do? Yeah, still I, do? There, was this one, there was this one night like, when we were when our relationship was still fairly new and he poops with the door open so there's lots of <laughs> interesting conversations that that come up in there podcast. and <laughs> yeah and and i and i just was admiring him in the faces that he makes when he poops cuz they're pretty consistent and <laughs> And I was just laughing and just like sometimes. and just you loving just gotta, you gotta bear it's, it's like it's like one eye. One eye closed and the tongue kind of sticking out a little, dropping out a little bit. But I was just admiring him and I was like, Have you ever been loved so much? Because I was just exploding and giggling and being my normal self. And he goes, Katie loved me like you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that there was some part of me that never let that love in. Yeah. But never let myself feel that amount of love because I didn't love myself enough to feel like I deserved to be loved that much because I had internalized the judge of the father, learned from my father, learned from his, his father, projected onto the father, you know, God, and this judgmental father, and projected onto other people too, you know, this father said that I wasn't worthy of love unless I was impeccable. And because he wasn't with himself? Right. 
and that's the thing and and so even though there is this deep love from the feminine which has given me a lot of like beautiful relationships you know when with the feminine but my relationships with the masculine have been more strained a lot of stress a lot of challenge i mean both of y'all know like that's where i find a lot of the challenge you know sure in the polyamory journey it's a wild tempestuous experience and i've experienced a lot of it but a lot of it was actually related to my own judgment my own judgment about am i good enough if i don't do this will she love me enough and a lot of that had nothing to do with the fact actually you know whitney even in her own way loved me like truly deeply i mean she would always say to me she said I love you so much and you'll never know. Mm. And she stayed. And she would that. have st- and she would have and she would have stayed. And even even with all my shit, I mean she and that was like I I I got to the tragedy of that experience was that like that I found that in the darkness. I found the the tragedy of the fact that I never loved her without loving what I hoped she would be. I didn't love her as she was. And so I gave her, I tried my best to give her that, to love her as she was, rather than loving her as she could be. I never got to give that to you either, Katesy. You know, like, I loved you a lot. I really did. You know, but some part of me loved what you could be, you know, and never got to fully love you as much as I could. And and nobody nobody has ever gotten that and recently in a in a workshop with mama gina and emily fletcher and luna may i i got to tap into where i was holding grief and the grief was that these people that i still love i love all of my partners i love i love you guys i love whitney and i love stephanie and i love savannah and i love all of like all of the people that i loved i still love but they never got like the best of me in that mm. way and i and i that's that was heartbreaking and there was a deep grief a deep grief for that but the deepest the deepest cut of the grief was that i'd also never loved myself enough to receive the love that was available mm. you know especially in the relationship with whitney where she said you know i love you so much and and you'll never know and like i don't even know if she even realized how true that was because like i wouldn't allow myself to feel it Mm. like i wouldn't let that actually seep in and this is the challenge now and now i'm not like and now i'm fucking perfect like it's still the work is ongoing but that dark that that time in the darkness opened myself up to that at least allowed me for the brief time we had after that before we got together to love whitney in that way we weren't destined just like you and i kate's to spend the rest of our lives together i know i know Mm -hmm. in every bone and every cell of my body that vilana and i have been destined for this but that doesn't mean that i wouldn't change i would change any aspect of everything because everything has been perfect and i've i love all of the loves i've had but i know that my way forward is to really let all of that love like let it all land let the love of my mom let let your love let your love let all of that love come in and and one of the things that i've 
found is the key to that is also really being safe to be seen Mm. you know and that means being seen in my lust you know because some part of me is a sailor Mm -hmm. you know oh you got a sailor in there (laughs) (laughs) maybe even a pirate he's riding up on the what's the thing Uh, called you actually i wrote a poem about you and we dated about the pirate I'll have to run, pull that out of the you're like You're like Lieutenant Dan up in the I, big I can feel that. With the wind I can feel that blowing. at the time. It was the, it was, he was a pirate. And back then you, you were very much, to speak to Chris Marcus, Chris Marcus was a pirate. He, he wore fucking... rings on his hands like time, not time on his hands like <laughs> rings. But like, <laughs> he was flashy and he was, he was, he had the, the hunger of the wolf in him. And, and he was always all that you are. Yeah. But he didn't see it. Yeah. And you had to, you had to tell, you had to show yourself, I'm ready to give myself permission to see it. And that was that line of demarcation. And, and Chris Marcus was desperately trying to prove that he was a man, Uh prove that he was a man and prove that he was worthy of love and prove that a woman would love him. You know, and and he never felt like he could live up to that. And now I'm in the place where it's like, all right, you know, I'm with an absolute goddess. And I love you so much, baby. And it's my, my, from here forward, life's work to allow myself to feel Mm -hmm. every bit of the infinite love that you have to offer. And you, Kate. You know, I mean, I and my mom and 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 everybody and and the masculine too, which has been a, a an aspect that I've had to do a lot of work to repair to feel the love of my brothers and the love of and the love of the world and the love of God and the love of capital M Mother and really feel the love. We have a bias, a, a preference bias for how we want to experience our love, and the ego thrashes against receiving the other forms of it. But when we zoom out and allow ourselves to pay attention to what's actually happening, love is pouring in constantly in in wild abundance. Mm -hmm. And that's something I can't deny in my life as much as I've found myself on the floor shaking and crying recently because I lost love. Well, no, I didn't. It feels that way to my nervous system. It feels that way to my story, but I'm sitting right here with love. Mm-hmm. There's love singing to me in every experience that I have every single day. Mm-hmm. I can't deny how much the divine is holding me. Actually, I can. I do that almost every day. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but when we pay attention and we allow ourselves to receive what's there, the whole script flips. And that seems like the common thread in each one of our stories mm-hmm. is the ability <laughs> to give immense amounts of love but how deeply have we truly been able to receive it? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of people listening to this that could really resonate t- to that. Yeah, I think probably every human being, you know, that cap upon which we refuse to look at ourselves and deem ourselves unworthy and cast away those parts, that's that's the limitation to what we'll receive. Mm. That's the devil, baby. <laughs> that's the that's demon. It. That's the de- that's, that's the it. demon that must be slayed. That's the that's the only <laughs> thing. It's it's just the delusion, you know. And this mm-hmm. was something that Maestro Hamilton 
who trained under Maestro Alberto, you know, really ingrained in me that is the demon, the devil, whatever you want to say, it's just delusion. It's just the pretending that we're separate from love. Mm. It's pretending that we're unworthy, using the mechanism of judgment to create the reality in which we aren't worthy of love. And then projecting that, the, the greatest trick of the demon or the devil, the greatest trick is to project that aspect onto God mm. so that we end up worshiping the devil, calling it God. Mm. Mm. And this is the story of humanity. The great wound of separation. The great wound there. of separation caused from judgment. Mm. But fuck, it's hard because we're we're locked into we're locked into preference because pain hurts, pleasure thrills, you know. And so it's hard not to judge because the one that hurts how do we, how do you love them like the one that thrills? How do you love them? Like we all have people in our mind right now. Actually, we all might have the same motherfucker in our mind right now <laughs> who it's hard for us to not judge that person. It's hard for us to really, to really hold that person in the same regard as the rest of us. And I think to try and I've always said like, it's it's great to be Jesus if you're Jesus, but don't mm. pretend if you're not. This is spiritual bypass. This is the essence of spiritual bypass. So what we have to do is love our judgment while we have our judgment. Mm. You mm. know, if we hold ourselves to this Ramdas standard, love everyone, tell the truth, and then we judge ourselves if we don't, well, we're not loving ourselves in the judgment of not mm. holding up the standard of love everyone, tell the truth. So we're fucking double failing. And that was the, that's the <laughs> trick of the of the request on his part is right. you can't do it if you're not loving yourself. So you have to find every wall. Yeah. Exactly. Especially right here. Yeah. Mm. And it's a life's work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it's I, I actually don't even have a I actually don't even have a resolution to it. And this I, this is something that I talked to and I'll and I'll jump to you in a second, but this is something I talked to Ted Decker about is like it to it's so so hard to transcend preference. Mm. You know, and and without in order to not have judgment, you almost have to transcend preference to a certain extent. Or have or be such a powerful alchemist that you can see things in a different way this is what paul selig talks about it's like it's not that you deny war but you don't see war as war you see something as different you see pain as just another chord on the organ played in the church of all existence mm -hmm. rather and just this is okay this yep. is the pain chord this is the this is the pleasure chord, this is the love chord, the surprise, the joy, the fear. These are all just chords. And but fuck, I mean, you know, that's such a level of enlightenment. The um maybe one of the hacks is to love your preference. It has to be. It has to be, right? Mm. It has to be. Like Thomas More, um phenomenal somewhat mystic writer in my opinion, he characterizes the soul through sentimentality. So there's actually, he kind of personifies the soul as the part of you, there's spirit, which is like energy, higher higher perspective, life force. But the soul is human almost. It loves, it loves it, what it loves. 
and it guides you almost with this intelligence, like ayahuasca, which is like, we're learning and we're having an experience and I'm going to follow what I love and, and I'm not going to judge, you know, the difference between soul and human in this paradigm is mm -hmm. soul's not judging what we love. Mm -hmm. Soul's loving. Soul is like, we love this now. We're going to hold on to this. You know, there's there's an intelligence to it. So the only way I see out of it is is love your preference too mm. until it all dissolves into love. Hmm. Yep. I haven't tried that yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful. And also what I was going to say before is just like where it's hard to love something, it's always showing you where there's opportunity for you. Mm. It's always showing you mm -hmm. where there's potential work to do. It doesn't have to be like, you know, immediate. And 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 all aspects of your process with things is significant and important. Mm -hmm. But I always try to look at situations, you know, where I don't feel like where I feel a lot of judgment or where it's difficult to just love unconditionally and at, you know even being neutral but it's like it's it's showing me where i'm not in alignment with love and where judgment and that energy is taking up residence in my own system so you know therein lies my opportunity to allow myself to be free if that's what i choose and yeah. maybe maybe loving my preference is the first step because then i'm not shaming myself for not feeling love or feeling you know judgment towards that thing or that person and then it you know then it kind of goes from there it's like a small step instead of trying to leap to the top of the stairs and just be christ consciousness yeah the i think the key there is just listening to you speak is also like love your preference as a witness mm -hmm. you know if you're so in love with your preference that you are totally identified with it as absolute truth and detachment right i think that attachment is a big hook of suffering and it's human and it's soulful, but if we can just zoom out a little bit and say, this is my preference, I'm gonna be with it, I'm gonna feel it mm -hmm. so I can bring it home, Yeah. then it's not going to rule me so much that I get lost in my pain for this long, mm -hmm. for years. And, and, <laughs> and, it's, and it's, not, it's not written, like it's not done. No. <laughs> right now is right now, but like no story until it's over is is over. Like there's so many more. Death has not touched us. There's so many more things that. Oh, there's always so many, so many things that can unfold that are unseen. And, you know, like you don't know another person's path. You don't know the work they're doing. You don't know where they're at. You don't know where they get that moment of desperation where they're just on their knees sobbing and crying out for help because they've gone so far into separation that they get the grace of the divine to give them the healing so that they're actually open to the love. And you know what I mean? Like this part of the beauty is we're all taking turns. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we're holding space. We're learning. We're witnessing each other and saying me too. Mm. I think there's a myth that if you start to adopt these higher spiritual principles that you'll lose your passion and I think that's, again, a form of spiritual bypass and emotional rejection and stuffing of the feelings that you feel. Oh, I don't get angry. I, anger is bad. Anger is mm. I, I won't. But really what you need to do is just prevent the toxic expression of this mm. and the repressed expression of this. I saw a video today of 
a bunch of people in New Zealand who were protesting the vaccine mandate. And there was seeming, there's thousands it looked like in the protest, but hundreds of people broke into a simultaneous haka in protest, which is like this deep, passionate, yeah, deep, passionate Maori war dance, right? Of like a primal expression. And it was all of their rage and all of their fire. It's from pain. And all of this that was just being expressed. And it was so beautiful because in that expression, they're not throwing flaming bottles at cops. No. They're not like, you know, just y- trying to hurt the people who are pro-vaccine or they're not doing that, but they're just allowing their, this raw primal rage of the world, it's constricting upon them and, and mandating that they do something that violates their sense of freedom and sovereignty. And they're just pounding their chest and, and screaming, Comate, comate, and just letting the letting the heavens hear their hear their roar yeah yes and you know and and like we can do that we can do that and that was it was beautiful and it was like this is i think the way it's just like feel it express it whether it's through your dance or through whatever process that you that you need like we can't keep it bottled up but we also can't point it with the sharp jagged broken glass pieces like we do in the passive aggressive bullshit ways we do on the internet yeah you know or with other people or with our partners because we've repressed it so much and it just all comes out like a broken bottle instead of just this like pure raw thick rich expression of an exclamation to god Mm -hmm. Yes. And the the difference, the difference in that expression of anger is they are not victims. There is a, the, the reactive anger is victim. It's like you, I'm losing my power because you have transgressed me. When you stand in that full expression of your truth, so big, you're holding all that you are and it becomes you don't have to build the armor here you don't need armor you're just emanating a clear clean powerful boundary of this is what's right for me let it be heard honor it if you will but i'm gonna claim it Mm. and that was like i never finished the thread but my cruella costume watching that film it lit me up because i recognized that I didn't know how to express anger unless it was reactive and volcanic. And otherwise, but what I've been doing recently is I've been feeling more, is like, put it in a fucking unapologetic poem. Mm. March around your house and fucking (laughs) say what you need to say. Like, embody it, embody it, bring it back. And it gives you energy. Mm Mm-hmm. It gives you energy when you don't let it make you small. And it's not so sticky. Mm-hmm. It's not so, it, it's it's not like all these instances where you're just like, you know, firing off at people. And or shutting being, down. Or, and, and having the reactive anger that's like really wanting to destroy other. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this is my process that is so valid that I get to have and experience myself. And when you, and I speak this from experience, when you really allow yourself to go there to channel it in a way that's healthy, like, you know, this the example that you brought up, it doesn't stick. It's like, it doesn't, that energy just flows. 
it's like flows down the river with you. It's not just mm -hmm. like getting stuck in here, waiting to like something else to piss you off for you to start screaming at somebody on Instagram or going off on this person that said something to you. It's like, no, like it's just like, it, it, it just begins to flow through your body. And that's how pain can be too. We're just, yeah. We are a vessel of experience and sensation. <laughs> There's so much of our life where we're just taught not to be able to feel our feelings. You know, yeah. that happens in childhood where emotions are uh, a nuisance for our parents or other, or other people that were around in, in many cases. And so we're taught to repress it. And, and yes, I've been around, you know, some tantrums and those emotions are difficult <laughs> to be around in kids who express that, but- Or me. <laughs> but these these things are they're they're essential qualities but then we we take that judgment that we've internalized and then we we project that onto others so we get in this place where we start to imagine that everybody else is different than us mm -hmm. and everybody else doesn't have the same emotional boiling sea yeah and all of these feelings of like lust and anger and rage and jealousy and, and and love and happiness and excitement and longing and desire and maybe we make ourselves numb because we don't think those things are safe and we look at that and then we hide what we have and everybody's hiding that within a relationship within friendships within partnerships until maybe one point we drink enough with our buddies and actually tell the truth for once but we were so intoxicated it didn't really even get anywhere and it's just this interesting thing. If we could really just see each other, just and, all see each other. And the ex and the expression, the permission and the allowance for you to feel your own emotions, it helps you to see other people. Totally. Like mm -hmm. it helps you to witness somebody else in their anger and be like, I get it. And maybe I don't agree with you because all of my timeline of the history of me and all these constructs that sit in here are different than yours. I have no idea what it's like to walk in your shoes, but I resonate with that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I can see you in your the, humanity. That is the alchemy of the illusion of loneliness that you mm -hmm. described. You know, when we feel like I'm alone with my pain, when you show it, when you share it, and someone else can say, I am that too. Yeah. Tatvama si, then you can remember better when you're going into that illusion. I'm not alone in this. We're mm -hmm. all sharing this. And and the depth that you're speaking to, I think is what we call darkness. You know, it's a depth of feeling that we, <clears throat> it it's so on the other end of the spectrum from what's acceptable, but it's just feeling. And that's the, the basement that we put in the shadow is the depths that we're scared of in ourselves. Mm. And we just get to take all of that spectrum of who we are back when we yeah. open that door. The, an important part of doing the work, as they say, mm -hmm. which has a lot of people who are like, fuck doing the work, you get addicted to doing the work, blah, 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 and I get it. Sometimes you can get addicted to processing, and I don't disagree that that's a real thing, but one thing that I unequivocally think is essential is to understand yourself. Like the old, old wisdom, know thyself. And so 
to use this example of what we're seeing in the world, so many people who are projecting that they really just care about their neighbors and that's why they're so pro-mandate. But they're not actually aware that like, fuck, I'm just a little scared. Like, I'm a little scared. Mm. And like that expression of, I'm a little scared. Like that expression, everybody can look at that expression and be like, yeah, like I get it. I know what it's like to be scared. But when you aren't aware yourself and then you project something that's not true, you know, like this is the most frustrating. Again, going to the person that we hold in judgment the most, it's because it's like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This isn't what you feel. This isn't the truth. This is a fucking charade. This is an absolute charade. And like, but we also project that they should know better. Yeah. But mm. they don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? Like they're gaslighting themselves. Yeah. They're, they're, the shadow is literally that which you cannot see. Mm. Uh -huh. Right? And so, so, mon so much of us, and this is on both sides, like 100%. some other people are like, I'm just, you know, I'm against dehumanization and these fucking sheep on this oh, side. Yeah, totally. What, wait, wait. You just said you're against dehumanization, dehumanization. <laughs> but these fucking sheep? Did you just hear what you said? You just called a human being an animal and you're saying that it's dehumanization? So I don't want to say that this is a one-sided thing by any fucking stretch of the imagination because everybody in every issue does the same thing. Like, but to just be aware, it's awareness. Like, yeah. This is the game. The game is awareness. And if that's all the work is, fine. But we must play the game of awareness. We must. I mean, we don't have to do anything, but fuck, it's super <laughs> helpful. You know, like it's fucking super it makes helpful. Makes it a lot less miserable. Yes, for everybody, for everybody. <laughs> like give it some meaning. Yeah. There yeah. we go. And I think, you know, I think the one common thread we can all hold on to here is I'm a little bit scared. Mm. All of us. Yeah. All of us. What are we scared of? Loneliness, self-destruction, you know, feeling. Death, loss. Death. It all boils down to this core thing that none of us are immune to. And that's we are love that experiences fear. Can we all hold on to that together? Yeah. At least. I love you guys. Phew. <laughs> that was a fun adventure. <laughs> Onward to more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. The new documentary we referenced is coming out on November 17th. It's so, extraordinary. Yeah. Congratulations. Not to be missed. Thank you. Medicine for all. Thank you. Um, a lot of ways that you can get to that, you can go to aubreymarcus.com slash awake in the darkness. And that's one way to check it out. And um, obviously follow these goddesses here, the poet queen, at Vailana Marcus and so much to come fit for service if you want to experience this in 2022 we're opening up the ecosystem mm. there's going to be 
smaller retreats, bigger retreats, maybe even a fucking festival. I don't know. <laughs> there might be. There might be. I might be able to take my main ad. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Energy the ad. into the light. <laughs> Everyone get excited. Main ad festival. <laughs> Damn. But like, make it conscious, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so. It's so. I wish I had a tool like Fit for Service the whole rest of my life to feel the permission to really go into my stuff in a container where people really see you and say me too and mm-hmm. give you the permission and hold you and cry you with got you. got you now. So like, you do have it. I know, I do. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, mm. yeah, it's it's exceptional too, mm-hmm. to be to be part of it and to witness it and you're looking for your people it's a great group of people the best love you guys love, love you so much, much. to the, the end to the end i love all you too we love you too ryan love you ryan bye during this podcast we mentioned a few times the darkness documentary it's one of the most powerful films that i've ever been a part of and I really encourage you guys to give it a look. It's really raw. It's really vulnerable. It's really the truth of how that experience went down. And Ben Stewart does an amazing job of weaving it together into a real ceremony. So it's going to be everywhere. All my social media, all my newsletters, you'll be able to find it. Get an early access preview of the entire documentary for free. So definitely check it out. It'll be on my website. Everywhere you look, you're going to see an opportunity to watch Awake in the Darkness. Thank you so much, fam. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And make sure to let Vailana and Caitlin know if something they said really resonated with you. Love you guys. And I'll see you actually in two days. New podcast coming out with Ben Stewart right on the heels of this one.